Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, it's, it's been wonderful. Uh, it's, always, it's almost surprising when you start a series like we have, uh, being honest to God, and you deal with such big emotions in the way that we have over the last couple of weeks. It's been quite humbling and, and surprising to see the way that God has worked amongst us. And as a result of this series of looking at the big emotions of our life, uh, how do we pray our doubts and how do we pray our tears and how do we pray our fears uh, to be able to to journey with some of you and the conversations we've had and the emails we've had and the feedback that we've had. Uh, it's just been testament to the fact that God's been, a, God's been at work and uh, if you're just joining us this morning, uh, the big idea of this series has been that, look, we know and we sense it is so difficult to be honest with people uh, around us in the world. It's so difficult to be honest and real with people around us. At least for God's sake, we can be honest to God. <laughs> and, and, what if, and how are we honest to God? And we said part of the way that we're honest to God is you just pray your emotions. You just pray, you pray them to God. You let them out in all its rawness and its ugliness. And you just let God deal with it. God's big enough to deal with whatever you want to throw at him. He's your heavenly father. He's a big father. And he can handle that. And so uh, we've looked at, yeah, how you pray your tears and your fears and your doubts. And as we came to this morning, I thought, well, is, is that how we're going to finish? We're just going to finish with, with more big emotions. And, and I figured we had to go somewhere with all of this. Because that would be the natural question that some people are asking is, well, what do I, what do, I do with these these things. Do I, am I just resigned to praying my tears and my fears and my doubts for the rest of my life? And the, the good news is, well, there's bad news and good news. Bad news, yes. Good news is, um, no, there, there can be something that you can do with your tears. There is a discipline that you can engage in. And this psalm talks about it. In fact, this psalm tells us how to deal with these big issues in life. Even if it's an issue we haven't come across, it, it tells us how to deal with this big issue in general. In fact, it's the psalm that tells us how you can deal with these issues. Would you be interested in knowing what, what that is? No, I am. And I've already preached this at Taramara. Um, <laughs> the only thing is that I thought if, if I shared it with you, it would be a bit anticlimactic because I know some of you, if you're a churchgoer, you're going to hear this and you're just going to go, is that it? So I've, I've got to prep that with you so you just don't switch off. It's more profound than you think and that's why we need to talk about it. Uh, but really, really, the the thing, uh, the thing that that you need in order to, to to have a life that's full of joy and wonder and and all that this psalm has been talking about, really, what the thing that you need in your life is the discipline of worship. The discipline of worship. See, I knew it. You've all said, "Is that it?" <laughs> where's Where's my iPhone? Um, <laughs> It's, the, it's the, di- the discipline of worship. Come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And we think, is, is that it? And in some respects, yes, that is it. But we're going to talk it through. But what, what I like uh, about this, what we're going to learn today is that this is the thing that will push you and I th- past that tension that we feel when we pray these big emotions. And the tension that I'm talking about is the tension that, that one of you felt this week, a, a Northsider that I was having coffee with, you know, working through stuff in their business, and there is a heap going on. They're a positive thinker, and uh, they do really well at what they do. And, and they said, Sam, look, the, the thing is, I just don't get it. Why, why is it that I still lay awake at night with this stuff? Like, I, know, I know that I know that God is good, and I know that I know that, that God has been faithful in my life. Why, 
why am I still staring at the clock for most of the night? Anyone else felt like that? That wrestle that we have, and I have it all the time. You know, why, why is it that I know that I know, but I still can't, I can't deal with this. I can't move on from this. And the answer is worship. And you're thinking, is that it? I think part of the reason you're thinking, is that it? It's because of the way that we misunderstand what worship is. Worship, as we're going to learn today, worship is not just singing. Worship is inventorizing and then pulverizing. <laughs> okay? That's where we're going. Worship is inventorizing and then it's pulverizing. And we're going to, we're going to see that. But now, is that how you and I think of worship? No. <laughs> no, probably not. You know, I, it's how I think of worship. And I don't know. I, this could be a, I, tell me if this is a sign that I'm getting old. Um, but I am starting to increasingly find uh, that I turn to Kristen after a church service and we're going home in the car or we're at home and I say to her, and we've been through this, haven't we, Mike? We're like, can't we just sing some of those great Hillsong songs from 2003? <laughs> Shout to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the great South land of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oh, that's older. Yeah. Right. Is that a sign that I'm getting old? Yeah. Okay, it is. Good. Thank you. <laughs> and oh, I do this, so I'm assuming I'm, I'm just going to project all of my issues onto you. Um, but I'm assuming that you do the same. In fact, I know that we do the same. I know that we come in and we sing songs, and, and the way that we think is, I'm not sure if I like those lyrics. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure if that's. No, I'm not sure if I really connect with that song. You know, when, when are we going to play another hymn? When are they going to stop playing hymns? <laughs> Now, the, the tragedy when we, when we do that is that that's not worship, worship. What we've done is we've reduced worship to a style. We've, 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 we've re- reduced worship to, um, to something that it's not. And, and dare I say, if we, if we come in, and I know that I come in with these attitudes. I know that if we come into this space with that sort of attitude around worship, what, here's what you're doing. You're muting your faculties. I mean, it's like going to the Sydney Symphony Orchestra with earplugs in, right? And if you do that, of course you're going to come away from that performance going, I think the conductor had a spot on his shirt. (laughs) Of course you're going to think like that. Which means you come into a church service like that, of course you're going to come in thinking the preacher had his shirt untucked. He's got his expensive tradie shirt on again. The worship leader leader sang out of key. I'm not sure I like that (laughs) song. Probably, probably, and I love what you said. You know, take joy, my my king, in what you hear, even if it's out of key. Because worship's not how we get this stuff right, and worship's not a style. Worship's not turning up to church hoping that we will play your favourite song, right? Because all you'd have to do is just add a little bouncing ball to the lyrics up on the screens. You know, when we think that way, you know, that's, that's not worship. That's what I call Christioke. <laughs> right? Well, we turn up, we go, I hope they play my favourite one. Oh, it's coming. It's a good one. And then we, be- we belt it out. Right? That's not, that's not worship. It's Christioke. I want to talk to you about worship this morning. About how God... Wants us to worship. And I know some of you are thinking, well, hang on, hang on. How is, this, how is this supposed to change how I deal with the big issues of life? Sam, do you understand what I'm going through at the moment? How, how, does, how does singing help me deal with the big issues of life? And the first thing is, it's not singing. And by the way, too, a quick one. 
you know, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not a Christian or someone's invited you or you're a friend of a friend here or you've just wandered in off the street and you're checking out Christianity, I want you to know that this is for you too because it's not just Christians that worship. Uh, worship is not a Christian thing. So it's not just for Christians, and I'll share with you why in a second. Um, but most of all, I just want to call it out and say Christian worship is weird. I love the way that Duncan Robinson said to us once, you know, Christian worship is like watching someone on stage holding a watermelon and swaying. <laughs> Can we just call it out? It's, we, we look weird. It's a subcultural thing. And if you stay with us long enough, then you get used to it. But some people never get used to it. That's fine. Um, but you don't have to be a Christian to worship. And here's how I know why. You know, the font of all knowledge for me at the moment, my personal trainer. Um, I was talking to the trainer in the gym. And, you know, he was telling me that apparently that of all elite Olympic athletes, apparently 95% of those that were asked the question, if you could get a gold medal, if you were guaranteed a gold medal, uh, but were guaranteed a gold medal, uh, but then told that you were going to die within the next five years, would you take it? 95% of them said, yes, we'd go for that. Now, I've got no idea if that is factually correct. That's not the point. Um, the point was his response to that. The point was, as a, as a non-Christian, as someone who's not worshipping, you know, he said, yeah, I know why that is. It's because that's their jam, which is non-Christian language to say that medal is their object of worship. That's a thing that... Uh, you know what you worship based on what it is that you would die for. And you'll see that you don't have to be a Christian to worship because when you look at the definition of worship here, worship is to ascribe value to something and engage in it with all of your heart and your mind and your will and your spirit. That's what worship is. And you can do that with God. You can do that with a gold medal, right? Makes sense? So worship is taking all of the, the, the faculties in, in order to to see the worth of an object. Then you look at the structure of the psalm here, verses 1 to 2, sing, shout, joy, that's emotion. Then in, in 3, for the Lord is good, he's great above all gods, the peaks belong to him. That's now intellect, we're thinking. Then verse 6, come, let us bow down. That, that's a bending of the will. See that? So it's, it's emotion, it's intellect, it's will, it's the whole person. And so you're not really worshipping unless you're engaging the whole person. And that's how we understand what worship is. Now, let me give, give you an, an idea of, of, of what worship is. Worship, worship is the act of being honest with ourselves. If, if praying the Psalms is about being honest with God, then worship is the act of just being honest with ourselves. You know, I always joke that I'm, I'm going to write a book that summarizes the entire Bible. It's only going to be one page in length. In fact, I'll just give you the cover. And it just it summarizes the whole Bible. And the title of the book is going to be called, There is a God and you're not it. That's the summary of the Bible. If you don't want to read the Bible this week, that's the summary. That's the, that's the whole Bible in a nutshell. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing in verses 5 to 7. You see here, for the Lord is the great God, the king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The seas are his, for he made it. His hands formed it. You know, what are they saying? He's God, I'm not. And more importantly, what is the psalmist specifically doing in this passage? The psalmist is inventorizing God. He's, he's good. He did this. He made that. He's powerful here. He does this. See that? 
He's inventorizing God. Now, the best way that I can describe this dynamic is through this picture here. Thanks, Peter. This is, this is worship. <laughs> Anyone ever seen this show? Yeah, this, is, this is one of my favorites. This is the, this is the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> now, I, I first got into it because my grandmother gave me the ugliest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. It's called a Toby jug. Have we got any of the B-52s know what a Toby jug is? Yeah. Um, a, a, a Toby jug for the younger generation is this weird English ceramic thing that is literally like the face of some weird old Scottish man in a hat uh, carved into the front of a mug. I'm thinking if I'm in Crow's Nest on Willoughby Road sipping a latte, that is the sort of thing that I would like to be sipping out of, right? <laughs> and so, so naturally, when I, got, when, I got a, when I got a Toby jug, I just, I just chucked it in the sock drawer and I just forgot about it. Now, what I love about Antiques Roadshow is, is this. You know, what's the whole show about? The whole show is that you're hoping that someone is going to bring their ugly mug <laughs> in and onto the table and they give it to the appraiser, Right? And, and they, they hand this mug that they couldn't care less about in there in the hope that it's worth something. And they give it to the appraiser and the appraiser comes in. And the best scenes are like this, right? It goes like this. The appraiser says, oh, where did you get this? Where did you get this? This beautiful thing. Oh, And look, yeah, look at the way that the nose comes out. And the <laughs> Now, have you noticed what happens to someone when they, when, when they bring that jug in? What, what happens? Their whole posture changes towards it. Oh, yeah, I, lo- I, love, I, love, I love this joke. <laughs> and the, 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 the appraiser starts uh, go, go, going through all the things. Oh, have you noticed the way that the ceramic comes off there? And look at the use of colour and pottery. And now, now what, 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 are they, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're inventorising the jug. They're, focused, they're looking at all of the beautiful parts about it. And, and, and as a result, what's happening that as that person changes their stance toward the jug, suddenly there's a new admiration towards the jug. Suddenly now you're in awe of the jug. Right? And then, once the awe sits in, uh, then, then, there's a, then there's an intellection. There's thinking. You're thinking, imagine if I could flog this thing. <laughs> right? We could travel the world. We would be rich. I could pay off my mortgage. And then, and then if you're not that type of person, what does it lead to? It leads to a, a, an action that totally reprioritizes the place that that jug has in your life. Instead of the sock drawer, now it goes into those fancy cabinets. Have you seen them with purpose-built spotlights just to shine on ugly things like a Toby jug? <laughs> and you'll put it right at your front door, right? It won't, it'll be right at the front door so everyone can look at this jug as you walk in. Now... What, what, what is this? This is worship. And I use that word deliberately, worship. I haven't de- developed a lisp this morning. Worship. It's the old English word meaning to, to look and to understand an object uh, and its worth to the extent that it changes your behavior. And that's what the appraiser is doing. It's, it's helping the person lift up and inventorize an object so that they now have a new reality of the value that's right between their nose. And so that's what worship is. When we sing, when we go through the words, when, when we read the lines of the songs that we don't really like, 
Whatever they are, they, they are the ways that we inventorize God and we begin to focus on the worth that is right beneath our noses. Now, can I suggest to you, you know, you, you, you may not know God yet or you're searching for God. And you know, Most people, the reason there's no change and there's no big life for them is that they haven't come to appreciate the worth that's right underneath their nose. You, you treat God like a Toby jug in your sock drawer. Like you know it's there, but you would never look at it and you would sure as heck wouldn't use it. So, so worship is to, to, to focus on the value of something until you come to grips with its true worth. And this is why, this is why worship is the way to handle the big issues in your life. Because the difference between that big life and a common run-of-the-mill sort of life is to understand the value of God and who he is. To have an object of worship that's worth dying for, not just the gold medal. The great preacher Spurgeon said, There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It's a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. But while the subject humbles the mind, there is a God and you're not it. It also expands it. The person who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the one who simply plods around this narrow globe. And so can you see now how that worship is not just whether or not we've got some emotional song playing? It's not just some emotion. We know how to do that. It's really easy. If you're a musician, just play in 6-8. <laughs> see, all the musicians got that. <laughs> But no, it's, 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 it's thinking upon, it's focusing upon, it's using all of your faculties to focus on the wonder and the beauty of God, to inventorize him so that you come to a deeper awareness of the value that's sitting right beneath your nose. Now, um, <clears throat> we probably can't stay there because one thing we can see though, can you see how when, when we do that, can you see that when we move into that, type of thinking can you see how that when we take our fears and our doubts and our anxiety and we start to lift it into that context can you see now how that suddenly it it can help us move beyond simply praying our tears and our fears and our doubts so now something profound begins to happen when we put them in the right context and you know I'm at the moment I'm I'm in Apollo 11 mode because it's been the anniversary of the, the moon landing and so you know National Geographic uh, one of the guys being interviewed one of the old guys was one of the astronauts said that it was a known fact that the vast majority of the astronauts that went on the Apollo mission uh, came back as believers or at least took up some form of spirituality and he said the reason for this was is that when you go and you orbit in this weird little capsule around the moon and you see the earth from a distance like that, as Bette Midler once said. <laughs> yeah, now I'm sounding old. But when you see the earth from a distance, you suddenly realise how exceedingly small we are. And that process of inventorising God helps us realise how exceedingly small the big issues that we think are in comparison to the big ones, right? Now, but it's, that's, that's not enough either because, you know, you say, Sam, well, what about the things that I'm dealing with? What about the stuff that I'm doing with business? What about the health issue that I'm going through? And that's where we, we, we need to get into how, how we practically deal with some of this. And verse 7 to 10 is quite obscure, but have a look and, and we'll, 
we'll see how this applies to us. But it says, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts, underline this, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. Now, what, what's, this, what's this psalm describing here? It's an ancient way of describing a dynamic that we know all too well. And the dynamic goes like this. The dynamic says, I swore I would never do that again. The dynamic is, I can't believe I'm back here. The dynamic is, I thought I had dealt with this. The dynamic is, I still can't believe that I'm doing this. The, the, the dynamic is, why can't I move beyond this? Right? And part of the reason is, you know, biblically, over and over and over again, the reason that we can't move forward with some of these big emotions is that the, the Bible says that we're constantly forgetting. We're for, our hearts stray. We, we, we wander. God says we're constantly forgetting. And so worship is not just inventorizing, but memorizing and pulverizing our hearts with God's truth. We have to constantly push this truth down into the depths of our hearts. Because over and over the Bible is saying that we, we, we don't recall, we forget. And so it means that there are things that we know don't change and that there are things that were once so beautiful and wondrous and important to us in our walk with God, that now have somehow seemed to lose their immediacy with us. Ever felt that? Like, why can't I just go back to that space where God felt so real? You know, these, these, these things miss their immediacy. And, and at the other end of the spectrum, you know, there are things in our past. You know, as some of you say, there, there are horrible things. There are horrible things that I did or there are horrible things that were done to me or there are horrible things that I've seen and there's scenes that I want to unsee and I can't and it's like they've got a grip on me. It's like, it's like yeah, all of life is fuzzy but they're in high definition. And part of the reason is that biblically, biblically it's this word sin that we use. You know, I'm always saying sin is not bad deeds versus good deeds. But, but, but sin in this context is a, a distortion, a screwing up of your heart so that all of the things that are good and noble and right don't come to the forefront. Now, again, you don't need to be a Christian to, to know this, but I, I know that you know this. I'll ask you this question. You know, why is it? Why is it that a word from a mother or a father when you were 13 saying you were going to amount to nothing, why do those sorts of things still haunt you 34 years later? You know, why is it that something that, that someone said in the school playground or in those adolescent years that are so crucial in your formation, when someone said you're ugly or someone said you, that you can't be my friend and we look back on it and go, it should be so silly and stupid, why does that stuff still grip us? Why, why is it that someone's got to tell you for one word like that 34 years ago, someone's got to tell you 150 times in a compliment for it to stick? Have you noticed that? It's because we're constantly forgetting there's something within the human heart that, that, that forgets these things. And so we need to constantly pulverize it with God's beautiful truth. We need to constantly be pushing it into us to engage us, for it to grab us. Because you know, there's something wrong with our hearts and our minds. And this is it. Uh, that, that fundamentally, and this is how we can move on from this, what you remember, what you recall, what you memorize, what you pulverize into your heart, what you set your sights upon sets the course of your life. 
And you know this, you know this. If you want to focus on gratitude and beauty and wonder, life, life feels happier. If you want to focus on the things where you've been hurt or you've hurt people or are still hurting, life turns bitter. And so you need to constantly pulverize your heart with God's truth until it changes you and shifts you and you react to it in a positive way. I'll show you a negative way we react to stuff. Is, um, imagine, imagine that you're reading the newspaper or a, or a book or an iPad and, uh, and someone comes up to you and says, oh, there's a huntsman on your arm. You know, the first time you go, mm-hmm, that's nice. And then someone says, no, really, there's a huntsman in your arm, enough just to jolt you out of your, your book until you see it. And then, my, my fear is a huntsman on the leg in the car. That's, that's my one, <laughs> right? What's, what's, the, what's the difference between the two situations? The, fir- you still, the first one, you've still got the same amount of information. The, the second one, you've taken that truth down to the CBD of your soul. Does that make sense? You know, suddenly it's, it's gone from the head right down into the CBD of your soul, so you move to action. And when we talk about pulverizing your hearts with God's truth, it's about taking God's truth and don't just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I get it. You know, I think some of us worship like that. I think of some of us worship where God is good and we'll remember you and that's good and I'm doing the praying, I'm working it all and we're wondering why we're not changing. That's because we're worshiping God the way that someone reads with a tarantula on their arm. And, and until, until we get it and we see it, it hits you, only then can the change begin. And let me give you a quick example as to what this looks like. Really simple. you just got to preach to yourself. You know, if you don't like my preaching, then critique your own. <laughs> Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God's soul, for I will yet praise him, my Savior. Oh, my God. What's David doing? You know, when he's downcast, he's preaching to himself. He's talking to himself. What's that? He's pulverizing his heart with God's truth. Put your hope in him. Go and inventorize him, soul. You know, I read a a great line from a preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I thought I've got to do this. He said, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? (laughs) How good's that? Most of your own happiness in life is because you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. You know, do you do that? You know, I, the, thing, the thing with me, my problem is, yeah, have you noticed like when, have you notice when you wake up, there is, it's like the, from the minute you wake up, there's like these subconscious voice in your head. Do you ever get that? I'm glad to see a couple of nodding heads. Otherwise, I thought I need to go and see someone. <laughs> You notice how there's like a stream of consciousness that's just happening when you, when you wake up. Part of my problem is that my stream of conf- consciousness can often be quite defeatist. You know, it can, be, it can be quite down on itself. And what happens is like both my subconscious self and then my emotional real bodily self, because you know, I'm waking up and I'm feeling, soul, um, I'm, I'm feeling old, according to you guys, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm getting up, I'm feeling an ache here. And it's like my subconscious self and my real self gangs up on my soul. You know, they just get up and you're feeling crickety because it's winter and the arthritis and the thinking. And you're like, soul, it's going to be a bad day today. I just know it. Oh, we're not going to have a good one. It's going to be a tough one. <laughs> I, that, I could be defeatist. And so you've got to preach to yourself. You've got to, you've got to get up and you've got to say, what, what are you doing, soul? 
You know, if God is for you, who can be against you, soul? You know, it, uh, can't he who, who do all things, soul? You know, won't, won't the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, garrison your heart, soul? Wasn't Jesus raised from the dead, soul? Wasn't that same power that raised him from the dead available for you, soul? Do you do that? Some, some, some of you just got to go preach to yourself this week. You just got to wake up tomorrow morning and say, soul, I will talk to you. If you want to pulverize your heart, you've got to preach to yourself. And the way you preach to yourself is you take those inventorized truth of God and you preach it into your heart. Because worship, worship is about taking those truths and working it all the way down to the downtown. And you thought it was just singing. <laughs> do you worship like that? That's all I've got to ask you this morning. Do you worship like that? And I think for, for some of us, you know, for some of us, this is new. You're like, wow, I didn't know worship was like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't know it was that complex. I didn't know we had to do all that. You know, for some of you, I think we've forgotten. I've forgotten. I've had to, I, I figured this week, my application point is I've, I've got to repent of my muted faculties. I've got, to, I've got to repent of the attitudes and the perspectives, even just the drudgery, if I could use that word that I can treat this place when we come into worship. And for, 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 for some of you, maybe for some of you this morning, it's a recognition that you're already serving something. You're not a Christian. You're not a believer. You say you don't have faith. But maybe, just maybe this morning, you've come to a recognition that you're worshipping as much as we are. Your career, family, kids, sense of status, where your house is. Bob Dylan said it. Don't listen to Jesus, listen to Bob Dylan. You're going to serve somebody. Do we worship like that? And so as we go, two takeaways for you. First of all, you can't do this individually. There are so many people that go, you know, worship for me. I'm just going to find my favorite rock somewhere and I'm just going to worship God. And people say, you know what, I don't need to go to church. I'm just, I'm just going to listen to the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, get to church next week. <laughs> I had to put it in there for the recording. right? You, you've, you can't do this individually. Because I don't know about you, but every time that I'm in the middle of doubt and I'm in the middle of tears and I'm in the, the middle of fears, I don't know how you go, but I'm never seeing God clearly when I'm in the middle of that moment. I need good friends. I need family members. I need the church family around me to say, you're not preaching truth to yourself. Here's the truth. Think clearly. You can't do this alone. The second one is you've got to do this regularly. If we are so forgetful, we have to do this in a regular rhythm. Which means, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not the scolding type. I hope from time to time by the Holy Spirit I'm the convicting type, but I'm not the scolding type. You've heard me say time and time again, look, if you are late to church, I am so glad that you are here. I want us to hear that as a church. There are so many other things people can be doing this morning. I don't care if you're late. I only care if you're constantly late. <laughs> And what I mean by that, seriously, from the heart of my heart, if you are always late, if you're late because something subconscious saying, I don't need to listen to the songs, I'm here for the message, you've missed worship. If you're constantly heading out of those doors early because you've heard the message or you've sung the song and you're on your iPhone thinking, what's my next appointment? You've missed the point of worship. You've got to do this regularly. Psalm 95, look at it. It's singing, praising. It's thinking. 
it's bending of the will and then it's reflecting on the things that we need to change. Is it just me or is it that not exactly the pattern of our worship in church? You've got to do this regularly and rhythmically in this rhythm. Let's pray. Father, I recognise that the pains, the fears, and the tears, and the anxieties, and the worries, that none of that has drastically shifted from where we were last week or the week before. And so, Father, I pray for every person that may be in that space this morning. And that we open this moment to you now in this act of worship. And so, Father, as we take communion together, I would ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each and every one of us. That you would rework our hearts. And that as our minds continue to focus upon you and all that you have done for us as your followers. That we would be changed, that we would be prepared, that we would be postured in the appropriate way as we get ready to head into our week this week and so Lord uh, we give this space to you and ask that you would meet us here now I pray in Jesus name Amen Well thanks for tuning in if you'd like to find out more about Northside visit northsidechurch.org.au